Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, hey there. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Me and Seth are here, and we're excited to talk to you today. So excited. And you are a dad in four in days. In four days. Oh, my goodness. It's almost... It's too much. It's so exciting. It's too much. We had our last ultrasound this morning, because we go every week for medical reasons. But everything's fine. And four days. Four days. David Bowden. Dad. Spoken word poet. Spoken, oh, this is my new Twitter bio. Yeah, it's, new, it's like oh, it's like just it's just the title with the period and then yeah, another title, right. and it has to start with father, that's and then right. husband, and then podcaster, Podcast. and then spoken, spoken word, word poet. poet, or whichever one you whichever think is one most is. important after the godly one. Oh, I see. After the godly, <laughs> oh no, no, no Christian, yeah, so Christian, or or like, or you could be really like really spiritual, and you'd be like sinner. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sinner father husband i like the ones that don't even say christian they're like disciple of of yes. of yeshua like, oh, <laughs> they, they yeah. get really intense you should get yeshua in there yeshua. <laughs> or as we like to say josh 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 on every joshua page. this is this is our experiment to find josh in every corner of scripture yes here it is here he is so today uh sorry for that <laughs> strange introduction everyone but uh uh, so today we have uh, a, a really interesting um, passage we want to look at. We're, we wanted to do a standalone episode because it's um, it's kind of strange. Um, it, it's it's mostly Exodus, strange yeah. because it's just you. There's not a lot going on. That's true. It seems like there's not a lot going seems on. Seems like there's not a lot going on. But, Jethro is but giving like, yeah. leadership advice. This is to Exodus Moses. 18. Exodus 18. Yep. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is giving him leadership advice right. on how to govern the people of Israel. Right. And like, I mean, I've really only ever heard leadership parables drawn out of this text. That's, that's like that's yeah. all I've ever heard is like the like here's how to like build a ministry or or like govern a company this is how you do it right so let's let's just go over the whole text and see like why do why is that normally what all we pull out of this so jethro the priest of midian so he's a priest moses's father-in-law hears that god is doing great things in israel and goes and visits moses um before he gets to Mount Sinai, there's actually some debate on whether or not this place before or after before or after right but whatever we're gonna for for our own argument we're gonna pers- we're gonna assume that it's before because as John Salehammer points out there's no reason right there's no there's nothing that necessitates us to think that this happened after Mount Sinai that's exactly right so anyway he walks up to Moses Moses <laughs> walks out of his tent like how's it going. <laughs> This, I've this, heard some things have been happening. I was just like, what is that conversation like? Oh yeah, my gosh. God parted the Red, Red Sea. sea. <laughs> well, what was that like? We saw a bunch of locusts. <laughs> just, I was just having a lot of fun imagining, like, just kind of hearing rumors. Like, Did God really or like, like send plagues? It's like the it's like it's your father in law, and it's like <laughs> you guys. We've all had the, that moment when like your father, you sit down with your father in law at a family gathering. He's like, so like yeah, how how things been going? And then Moses just was like, well, well, <laughs> quite a few things. We just ate bread that we scraped off the ground from the morning dew. <laughs> 
It's just a, <laughs> it's really, like a lot of things a lot of to things. catch him up on. And Jethro praises God, verse 9. And Jethro rejoices for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. Blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now that I know, verse 11, that the Lord is greater than all gods. And mm. that goes back to what we talked about. Right. This is the whole point that God did all these things. It's like, I want to prove that I'm greater than all the other gods. Yes. I want to prove that I am your savior. That's good. So he's like... He's like fulfilling what the yeah, purpose yeah, of the yeah. Lord is. That's so really that's good. Kind of, that's yeah, God cool. was like, I'm going to do all these acts and all these great acts of judgment, like he says, I think in chapter five or six. Yeah. And he says that and and so that people may know that there's no one like the Lord. And here it is. Right. That's exciting. And like all in-laws, he stays longer than <laughs> he was expected to, I guess. And so Moses goes to work the next day and Jethro just kind of watches him as he's at work. And he's, <laughs> I love this picture of like the like backseat driver father in law. It's so funny. Oh, that's how you're doing it? Well, I guess. <laughs> so Moses is in court, I guess, and he's sitting down, and all the people of Israel are coming to him with problems and cases that have come from, according it says verse 18 when they had when they had a dispute they came to me and i decided between one person and another and i make them know the statutes of god and his laws first question i had there was like what laws is he talking about right because we haven't got to the laws yet right which that's why a lot of people think that this is post sinai but we know that there was this like mini version of the covenant given right after they passed the red sea uh in exodus 15 and they Moses sang his song. Then God says, "If you oh, yeah. if you obey all my statutes and all my he commands, says a statute yeah, is a rule. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, if we obey them, we can be your people, and we'll have this covenant with you. But what are they? We we don't need to think that like every single thing that happened in that moment was written down. We can assume that either God said more there or." That's what Moses is for. Like, yeah. God has disclosed some of this to Moses, and that's why people are coming to him, because he knows. And so Moses decides disputes between people and then tells them the laws of the Lord. That makes sense. And if he has a special relationship with the Lord, I'm sure that he's in prayer, right. going to the Lord. It's like he's getting all this information on the fly, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like, no, seriously. Before yeah, maybe. it's written, like, concrete down. And one of the right. other things we'll probably talk about in the next couple of weeks is, like, we don't actually have all the laws. That's correct. Which we'll probably talk about. Anyway... Yeah. He's doing this, and Jethro's like, that's not a great way to run a country. <laughs> or, or as he says, what you're doing is not good. <laughs> just, just, well, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Um, and he gives him, he said, there's a better way to do this. He says, you are going to represent the people before, uh, sorry, you, uh, he has this better idea where he's going to say, you need to delegate your authority right. to peoples of uh people thousands hundreds, hundreds fifties, fifties and, and tens. tens for about an hour i tried to draw the org chart oh you would. <laughs> so i was like how does this actually work you so, so would. We, like there's two million people in israel you're gonna roughly, implement the, you know, this in your youth ministry and i was just trying to figure out like what would the org chart for this oh look like gosh. how many like people how many leaders of thousands would there be if there's two million people actually this organization would have been huge oh yeah so i was like can a thousand like I was like, I wonder if there's like a step, like if there was like a step missing. This is just, anyway, I was it, just. Is a Fortune 500 company one that has 500 employees? Uh, is that what that means? I think so. At least 500 employees. Yeah. So it's like, you're talking about, uh, you're talking about like all these massive, more than Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> like, right. Well, and also like representatives for a nation. And like, you know, we don't really know how many Israelites there were, but like 
a million? Yeah, or more. Or more. And right. so, I mean, like, that's like, you have like states. Oh, yeah. And you have, I mean, 12 tribes. Yeah. And so, like, even if you divide it perfectly evenly among 1 million people, that's hundreds of thousands of people. Per tribe. Per tribe. Yeah. And if there's a leader for every thousand of them, it was like you'd have hundreds of thousands of leaders. Oh, yeah. So, I was trying to figure out, like, there's got to be like a step we're missing. Anyway, that was. <laughs> That was more technical than it needed to be. And um, he says, the these people will bear the burden of leadership with you. Verse 23. And if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And Moses listens to his father-in-law. He does what they what he says he, he's going to do. And then his father-in-law leaves after giving this advice. Right. So really like... what's going on here besides organizational structure yeah leadership strategy what's really happening and so i think what john salehammer points out and which i think is really fascinating is that jethro the priest is being set up to be a kind of melchizedek that happened with abraham which we've met this guy before this was this is written by one author the the whole torah uh People who are reading this part of Exodus, it's assumed that they would already know everything going on in Genesis where we meet this guy, Melchizedek. Right. So it's not crazy to think that, you know, we could build this connection. That's no, what I'm saying. Exactly right. And so Melchizedek, and so in the in the text, there's a whole bunch of reasons to see parallels to them. Okay. So let's see them. Melchizedek is called uh, the king of Salem. And when they greet one another, they greet each other with Salem. So in that phrase, we greeted one another. The word is Salem. Oh, interesting. Um, Abraham has a son named Eleazar, which means God is my help. Moses has a son named Eleazar, which means God is my help. Mm -hmm. Moses praises, or uh, Melchizedek praises God for the victory in battle that Abraham has. Uh, um, um, Jethro Jethro praises God for the victory that- Everything he did in Egypt. Everything he did in Egypt. Melchizedek brings bread and wine and celebrates the Lord's provision. Oh, yeah. Jethro brings burnt offerings to sacrifice the Lord. Right after a bunch of bread and wine. Right after a bunch of bread and, <laughs> and wine. And the Passover. Abraham was told um, that he would be a sojourner and stranger as part of the covenant. Uh-huh. And, and he's, his and son, <laughs> his name, Gershom, <laughs> means like, I am a, so- a stranger in another land. Which is Moses' son. And both of them get an explicit mention in this right. passage. Eleazar and Gershom both get explicitly mentioned and the meaning of their name. Right. Which, which seems kind of repetitive. It does, unless you're trying to make connections right. with some other part of your work. And right. so he's bringing this back to Melchizedek. Yeah. And like names and places, these things in the um, imagination of an ancient Near Eastern person that would be reading this at the time holds a lot more weight than us like my name's david there's so many davids and most davids aren't named david for a reason you know yes but like even (laughs) but even within the structure of the book what's actually happening here we have moses god's divine Mm. lawgiver and chosen instrument to redeem his people now receiving advice from his father-in-law on how to instruct and manage Mm. the entire nation like this guy needs credentials right in order to like justify the type of voice he has in Moses' life. That's true. Every time, every other time that someone brings something to Moses and is like, hey, you should do this, like whenever the people come and complain or Pharaoh tries to change the agreement and it's like, well, okay, yeah, the just the men can go and worship God. You know, he's like, nope, that's not how it's going to go because right. Yahweh spoke to me. This is how it's going to go. But now all of a sudden, Jethro seems to have this authority. Where's that coming from? 
So I think how do we get to Jesus in this text is like we actually have a line going from Melchizedek to Jesus. Right. And we learn that in Psalm 110. It's like when this is very specific messianic psalm that says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, the son of David, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Super confusing. Right. But the book of Hebrews spends five chapters <laughs> unpacking what that means and how it can only be fulfilled in Jesus. So what we have here is we have Melchizedek is this type of Jesus. Because Why is he a type of Jesus? Because in the narrative, he doesn't have a father or a mother. He doesn't have a genealogy connecting him to his family lineage. He just kind of appears right. on the scene. And the author of Hebrews says, like, in the same way that the narrative doesn't describe him as having a father or mother, but he's kind of like eternal, uh-huh. we need a priest who is eternal yeah. to offer an eternal sacrifice for us. What is narratively true about Melchizedek is actually true about Jesus. That's right. And so when you have Melchizedek, acting as like the precursor. So in Melchizedek appears right before God gives the covenant to Abraham. Like he's like the precursor. He's like the, he's one like greasing the wheels for the covenant to be enacted. The prologue. The prologue. To the covenant. And the same thing happens here with the covenant on Mount Sinai. Mm. So what should people who are reading the Torah in their time be expecting of the final Messiah and the final son of David. Mm. They should be expecting a priest to come who ha- whose genealogy doesn't seem to matter, who doesn't have a father or mother listed, who kind of comes out and who seems to be this authority without having, like authority by virtue of who he is, coming, greasing the wheels and making the covenant possible. Mm. Where do we see that? Mm. We see that in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the true and better priest who comes and makes ready his people for the promises and covenant of the Lord. That's that's where Jesus is here. Yeah. So what does, I just want to like ask, uh, let's ask this question just so we can kind of put a, a better bow on this thing. Um, what, what, what do we talk about when we say that Jesus is this priest who makes possible a new covenant? What, what does that mean? Um, and, Let's answer that question, and then let's also answer the question of, is there something with the division of the people that is happening? Like, does that mean anything for us and the delegation and everything? Does that mean anything for us, or is it just this Melchizedek Well, let's talk about the easy one, which is like the division of the people. Oh, okay. That's the easy one. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, there's no—I mean, like, the division of the people, like, one, there is—you need to use wisdom in order— organizing the people of the Lord. I feel like there, mm. that's, I mean, that's, that's not wrong to take a practical application from this. No, but say, I, when I was reading it, I, I kind of had a different thought. I, I was, I was thinking that, um, you know, so it, it, everyone had to come to Moses to get, uh, to, like to decide disputes and to like know the, the laws and statutes of the Lord. They had to come to him and, and, you know, like we've looked at, uh, Jethro comes to him and he's like, that's going to wear you out. So, you know, make these little microcosms and these tiny little organizational structures and set leaders up and make sure those leaders are people that are above reproach, that aren't easily taken by a bribe. He sets all these qualifications for these leaders for them. And, and then they will be able to decide those smaller disputes for those smaller groups of people. And what's interesting is um, uh, I, I'm just thinking of like some of the promises that come soon uh, in the in the prophets where, where we're going to read about like there's coming a time when um, a man will not need to say to his neighbor, know the Lord, but the law will be written on their hearts. 
Yeah. We don't need a mediator anymore. We don't have to go to someone else and someone's above us. And there's always this chain of command separating us. Cause now it was like, right. it's like, I can go straight to Moses and then Moses goes straight to God. Yeah. And now it's like more division. There's mm. more stratifications to work through to get to Yahweh and what and in his presence and what he directly wants. Yeah. There's like a dilution of that ordinance and that law and that presence. And now he said like what we know in Christ is the Holy Spirit comes and he writes the law on our hearts. We don't have to go to anyone. We get straight access to God with through the one mediator of Jesus Christ. That's good. I think that's cool. I was I also thought the exact opposite as you were thinking. <laughs> I was like what so he um, Jethro defines um, Moses' role as you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and then what he does is he takes that representative role and he gives it to more people. Mm-hmm. So what's he doing? He's multiplying the number of priests in the kingdom of Israel. And so one of the promises that we see in the Old Testament is that God is going to make his nation a, na- a kingdom, a kingdom of, of, priests, of priests. Which he says in chapter 19 next. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so it's actually the same point, just making it... Just a different in, way. Just a different way. Yes. Like Actually, so yeah, there's all these... Now you have to go through a chain of command to right. get to the Lord. But actually, the Lord is coming through the chain of command as well. Yes. And one day... Everyone will be priests. Yes. So now <laughs> it's not just, um, now it's not, okay, make leaders over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, right? Now it's, I've made ones. <laughs> right. It's just every single one is a priest, right? Yes. Because you By have virtue of, of the one priest, the one priest Jesus, Jesus Christ, living inside, inside of you. Yeah. He has qualified you, just as Moses was qualified, to go out and bring his laws and his statutes, his presence, his his judgments, his wisdom out to the world. And there, we don't need a chain of command in order to do that. We've been right. given that authority in Christ. You know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I give it to you and go do it. So yeah, same point, different directions. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that too. So let's let's go back and let's answer the question about, you, you, you talked about Jesus is this priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. I just gonna I want to repeat back kind of what you said because it's 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 a lot. So Abraham um, is about to get the covenant of God in in Genesis like sixteen. It's going to get reaffirmed, um, and and before that he gets he he he's met by Melchizedek, who's this seemingly eternal priest because in Genesis there's there's no birthday or father or mother or anything like that. Um, pretty much everybody else listed in Genesis, you get when they died and how long they lived and all that kind of stuff. You don't get that with Melchizedek. He comes out of nowhere and he's the precursor to, the, to this covenant that's going to be made. And then we get to Exodus and all this tension has been building around Israel coming to Sinai. They're going to go there. They're going to worship God. Something big is going to happen. And what do we get right before? It's like interrupt the narrative, screeching halt. We're almost there. And then the father-in-law comes in and he's this priest from Midian. And um, you have all these same elements that were in the Melchizedek story. And it's like, oh, what's happening again? Oh, it's a precursor to a covenant. And then what you're saying is let's trace this line. The, the the real priest, the newer and better uh, priest from the line of Melchizedek, who's not narratively eternal, he's actually eternal. Uh, we know this from Psalm 110, and we know yeah. this from Hebrews, is Jesus Christ. He has come, and he has he is the precursor, the enactor, the one who makes possible the covenant, because he is our eternal priest. That's what you've said. Eternal okay. wheel greaser. So the eternal <laughs> wheel greaser, Jesus. So what does it mean? What's Jesus' priestly role? Like, like, what does that mean for us? Why is that important? 
Jesus's priestly role means that he is able to offer sacrifices for our sin and be able to bring us into the Lord's presence. The problem with the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament sacrifice, not so much a problem, but just the nature right. of the role is that it was always temporary. Right. It was always... The priests had to stand every day in the t- in the tabernacle making sacrifices over Not and only over. for the whole nation, but for themselves, for themselves as well. Because they were sinful. Because, so like, there's just a never-ending string of sacrifices. And even the most, the most upright priests would have to sacrifice on the day of his death because yeah. like it, the, the work would never be done. Mm. So when you have Jesus as the better Melchizedek mm-hmm. and the better Jethro... Mm. He comes as the one who can offer a sacrifice by virtue, not only of his indestructible life, Mm. so it's an eternal sacrifice, but also by virtue of his sinlessness. He was never sacrificing for himself, not even on the day of his death. He was sacrificing perfectly for all people for all time. Yeah. So the way that Jesus is able to grease the wheels for a new and better covenant is that one, he's able, if if Jesus is truly that better priest and also the better sacrifice on the cross, his priesthood extends throughout eternity and for all time because he is eternal himself. And the sufficiency of his sacrifice, like the power of his sacrifice comes from the fact that he was sinless. He was actually a right. perfect lamb and lambs can't take away the blood of humans, uh, the sin of humans because right. like humans are more valuable yes. than Right. than lambs. So Jesus comes as the most valuable possible sacrifice mm. and offers himself sinlessly so that when the new covenant is enacted, what happens? We not only are freed from the condemnation of sin, from the shame of sin, but we're also given the title of priest ourselves. Wow. Yeah. The one that the, the role that had to be like disseminated out and right. delegated and have all these structures and systems is actually gone away with. Mm. The veil is torn in two, yep. and we have access to the Father, to the Lord, by virtue of Jesus's yeah. priesthood. And now as many priests, we go out and we say, be reconciled to God, right. as Second Corinthians says, right? Yeah. Now that's, just, so we should just, that's not light reading or thinking. No. We actually have a text in scripture about this, and it says, and about this we have much more to say, and it is hard to explain, Hebrews 5, 11. So yeah. if you're wondering, you could say a lot more. We probably won't. We probably won't, but It's also could. very hard. <laughs> it is hard. So yeah, if you're sitting here going like, oh, that was a lot, so is the author of Hebrews who's trying to explain all this too. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's okay. And if you have questions, you should send them to us. Yeah, you, you should. Yeah, you can send it to uh, podcast at spokengospel.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I want to make one final Little as you're talking, I was like, I wonder if all those little um, literary clues that uh, Exodus is giving us with Jethro to throw us back to Melchizedek, if are any of those present in the gospel narratives? I was like, that's an interesting question I hadn't thought of till now. But I, I thought, okay, well, the bread and wine that uh-huh. Melchizedek brings—that's the Passover that Jesus celebrates, bef- and he says, "This is the covenant. The new covenant is here." Right. So he's like, "Oh, I'm the new, I'm the new Melchizedek," you know. And right. then there's also um, before they go out, I think it's in John's account, we're told that they sing, they worship, just as Melchizedek oh, yeah. did and Jethro did, oh, the, which is a, interesting. In the upper room, in yeah, the upper in the upper room. room, yeah. And um, there's a sacrifice and an offering made in right. Melchizedek's and in Jethro's, but that 
is well where's that in the story it's jesus it's jesus, yeah, it's jesus he's he's, he's sitting there the living sacrifice jesus yeah. is there so i do think that it's quite possible all the elements that we've pointed out here in the Melchizedek story, the Jethro story, as the precursor, the, the wheel greaser to the covenant, is found also in the gospel narratives themselves, which is pretty cool. God, God is my help. That's the name of Eliezer, like God is my help. Mm. You know, what's, what's the one thing the Jesus cries out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Like it's it's the antitype of what the hope was in Eliezer. So like when the, how does the Lord help? Like through Jesus' own death. Mm. Anyway, I'm just thinking yeah, about that. I was wondering good. if there's another way to. Implement. I'm sure there's lots, and yeah, and if you're and if you're wondering also, like, are we are we leaning too heavily on Psalm 110 to make this jump into the New Testament? No, <laughs> because it's the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110 is. It's go read it after this podcast, yeah. and you'll be like, oh, I've heard that Matthew before. Matthew 24, Mark 12, uh, Acts 2, uh, Acts 2, yep. Hebrews 4 through yep. 8. It's everywhere yeah. in the New Testament, and so. Yeah, so this has been cool. I was I was kind of like, I was like, uh, this will probably be a small special episode. It'll be ten minutes, and I wasn't super excited about it. And then you weren't excited about Jesus on every hey, page hey, of scripture. Hey, no, I your, wasn't excited about Melchizedek this and is Jethro. Your podcast, man. But then you start talking about it, and I got all hyped <laughs> up. And now this is uh, this is great. This is a full episode. So this is awesome. Thank you, Seth, for awakening my affections today with Exodus 18. I hope it went that way for everyone else too. Have a great week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.